Well, we are starting a brand new series called Jesus and We. Jesus and We. Well, why does that name, Jesus and We? Well, because oftentimes we refer to Jesus and me, Jesus and I, Jesus and myself, Jesus and my personal relationship with God, our individualistic American tint on relationship with God, Jesus and I. But it's Jesus and we because our relationship with God goes to a whole nother level when we do it collectively, when we do it as a group, when we worship God together, when we serve Him together, when we step out in faith together, when we do things together, it's amazing, it's powerful. And we oftentimes, I mean, let's just compare, for example, when we pray alone. How many of you like to get your prayer on sometimes just alone in the closet upstairs or just in a secret place? I go up to Iao, and I, just, I went up there this week, and just I find my spot up by the tarot patches up there and do a little hike. And I'm sitting there walking down the, the, through the trees, and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, worshiping. And so, you know, if somebody randomly walks by me, they're going to look at me like I'm crazy. But, yeah, it's, it's powerful praying together, but... Think about how much more powerful it is when we all get together and pray. I remember uh, at the university where Amber and I first met, Vanguard University, they had this beautiful chapel. And it had this, in the back, it had this staircase, this circular, like, old, like, metal staircase. And went up to the attic of this church, this old church, beautiful church, really clean up there, nice carpet, and this circular window with a cross, and the moon would shine through it. And my buddies and I would sneak up there until like four in the morning sometimes we would be on our faces praying, crying out to God. And it was a powerful thing because it just wasn't one of us. It was, it was this collective moving of the Spirit through prayer. It was just this, it, it was like a, like a band playing music together where we were weaving in and out of God's Spirit prompting us to pray for this or that. It's powerful. And we're even just take, for example, worship. How many of you guys like worshiping in the car? You're on a long drive going somewhere to maybe to Lahaina. That's usually when it gets me in Lahaina. I'm putting in some TD Jakes or something, or I'm going some worship. And man, I'm worshiping. Woo! Jesus, take the wheel! All right? No, no, I don't sing that song. But you know, the person in the other lane is probably passing me because I'm swerving and I'm probably, probably driving like I'm drunk or something. And they look over me like I'm crazy. You know, what is this guy doing? But you know, it's fun to worship by ourselves or walking in, yeah, up to the path by myself and screaming at the top of my lungs and worship. It's, it's pretty powerful. But when we worship together, when we get people like, like, for example, Melissa just got up there and got on that drum this morning and it added so much more than if it was just two. It's beautiful acoustic. And, and, and other people started chiming in and singing and it's, it's more powerful. You can sense God's spirit. I was getting goose pimples. I just felt God's presence in that. It's cool when we have more people worshiping together. And that's what I'm talking about is this collective Jesus and we. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be taking a look about things that we can do collectively as a church. And there are four we statements. These four uh, we statements, the, the first one has to do with faith. And I believe with all my heart, and I've been praying for you guys specifically, that this month that your faith would increase. And in addition to that, I believe that there's at least one or two of you here this morning that as a result of our talk about faith are going to be touched by it. And a year from now, you're going to be like, wow, that was a moment 
where I stepped out in faith, I took a risk, and God did something in that. And I'm real excited to talk to you about that. But the first we statement, it's awesome, okay? I'm going to say it out loud here. We are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. We will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. Let's all say that out loud together. Everybody, ready? We are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. We will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. Yeah, that's our first we statement. It's powerful. Hey, and in order for God to move in through that, that, that statement and for us to hear what we need to hear, we've got to ask God's Spirit to rest with us. So let's pray. If you could join me, bow your heads. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the family and the fun we had this weekend and how we uh, just are enjoying each other and getting to know each other more. It's such great fun. Uh, Lord, we pray over this series, Jesus and we, and how we can grow and learn and just have a, a collective movement forward in just seeking you and, and just following you and putting it all in. But that's, again, God, it's contingent on your presence, on your spirit, and it's kick-started in prayer. It's saturated in prayer. So I thank you for the people who stick around and just give some of their time and pray with us afterwards. That's awesome. But, Lord, for this message for specifically, I ask that you would speak through me, that you would open up hearts, that people could hear what you got to say, that I could move out of the way of that, and that we would be uh, just challenged in a big way. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Okay, now there are two stories that I'd like to focus on when it comes to faith. Two stories in the Bible, and specifically in the New Testament when it comes to Jesus. There's two instances where Jesus was amazed. Two stories where Jesus was amazed. It's very rare that that word is used, and it's used twice. And it's used in two different instances, but they're very different, polar opposite instances of where Jesus used the word amazed. And the first one is in his hometown. He's going there to minister. He is the Messiah. He's God in human form, and he's going to move in miracles. He's going to preach the gospel. He goes to his hometown, and then he runs into all of his family members. Obviously, when you go to your hometown, like if you go visit Warsaw, Indiana, you're going to run into a few fossils, okay? Or fuseles, if you pronounce it correctly. All right? So you go there, and you run into them. Same thing with Jesus. He ran into some family members, and they were offended at Jesus. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is claiming to be the Messiah? What kind of, you know, what kind of person is it? Isn't this, isn't this our cousin? Isn't this our sibling? Like, who is this guy I think he is? They were offended. And then Jesus, in Mark chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, he has his response to their offense. And this is what he said. Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was what? He was amazed at their what? their lack of faith. He was amazed. He was shocked that they didn't believe that he had the power, that they didn't believe that he was who he said he was. He was shocked. He was amazed. The opposite end of that is another story. 
where there's a centurion man who has a servant who's ill. And the centurion man hears about Jesus, and he goes to Jesus and says, hey, would you please heal my servant? Oh, let's go there. No, no, no. Uh, I know that you can, you can just say the word. You can do it, and, and the, he'll be healed. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a soldier, and in my command, when I say go, they go. I give them the word, and they'll charge a mountain. And the same way you have authority, you can just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And guess what? Jesus' response in Luke chapter 7, verse 9, he says, when Jesus heard this, he was, what? Amazed at him, turning to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such, what? Great faith. Great faith. Even in Israel, even amongst his chosen people, his own race, the people that were meant to bring the light to the world, this Gentile centurion had great faith, and that amazed Jesus. Now, I want to ask you this morning now. How great is your faith? How big is your faith? If Jesus looked at your faith level, I'm not talking about over the past 10 years, or even the past year even. Let's just look at the past week. If Jesus Look at the past week of your life. The things that you're attempting and believing. Would he be amazed at your bold and audacious faith? Or would he be amazed at your lack of faith? And I want you this morning to write this down. A scale between 1 and 10. On your notes. 1 through 10 at the very top at 10 is high faith and the very low one is no faith or zero if you want to put it. Uh, but I want you to take a really honest uh, look at your week. This, this past week. And ask yourself, did you attempt something so bold that if it wasn't for Jesus intervening on some level that it would never happen? It's impossible without him. Did you Attempt something so bold. And then your prayer life, for example. Let's say, let's say that everything you prayed for over this past week would have been answered today. The accumulation of the prayers that you made this week would be answered today. Let me ask you this. Would there be people accepting Jesus today? Would there be an orphaned child fostered or adopted? Would a church ministry thrive or come to life? What would happen? Or would it be that your food was blessed? Or that you got the parking spot you asked for on the way into the parking lot? Lord, provide a parking spot. I'm guilty of it. And almost every time, guess what? I was like, yes, Jesus. <laughs> it built my faith. But seriously, you got a parking spot, maybe a few inches off your thigh. Maybe you got the dimples you always wanted. Lord, I wish I had dimples. It would be so cute. What would, what would be answered today as a result of your prayer this week? 
Would, would God be amazed at your bold, audacious faith? Or would be, he be amazed at your lack of faith? And as we look at faith, there's some faith facts that I want us to look at. Okay, you should write these down. These are good. These are really good. The first one is you cannot play it safe and please God. You just can't. You cannot play it safe and please God. And if most of us are being real with us, the natural tendency, our default, is to go towards the safer route. Am I right? So, for example, in driving, especially in Hawaii, there is a culture of doing the most safe thing, the safest merge, which means like for them means stopping and just making sure that there's this huge space to merge. Or, you know what I'm saying, the safe thing is to take a turn very wide. And so when you're actually going around, they take wide turns so they don't hit a curb or anything. But did you know that statistics show that the more safe or cautious you drive, actually the more accidents you cause, okay? And that's what we divert to. We, we divert to the safe route. We go to, we, as human beings especially, go to the craziest level of safety. Now, you go to other countries, and you're surprised, even shocked, maybe culture shock, of how very little they value that. And so you have this crazy stuff and traffic in China. It's like what I call organized confusion. It's, there's some crazy things going on. But in the U.S., man, oh, safety, especially Hawaii, safety. But this safety, holding on to this safety, it cannot please God. It cannot please God. Paul, he was, he was a very unsafe individual. In fact, he, writ, he was written about and wrote lots of the New Testament. And he was a church planter. He was a, a risk taker. And so if anybody can speak on faith, Paul, he's the guy. And so we're going to take a look at a bunch of his different scriptures that were written in Hebrews. We're going to cover most of, most of the chapters going to be riddled with points where he makes about faith. And here's what he said in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He said, in a, and without faith, it is what? impossible to please God. Now, if you can accomplish your goals without God, you have an amazing lack of faith. That means that your goals are not high enough. That you're not shooting far enough. That you're not putting more trust in saying, God, I, I believe you can do bigger. You can do better in my business, in my family in my personal life. I believe you can do more. I believe you can do great things. Now, people like to put on this like faith face. It's like, oh, I got faith that can happen. You know, oh. <laughs> I, I've run into people like somebody passes away. Oh, I got faith that God's just going to raise them from the dead. I'm like, wow, you just, you got this like faith face, you know. But the reality is faith's messy. It's messy. You know, you, you have all kinds of faith. You said, I believe, God, you can do this, and then it doesn't happen. And then you just have this small little step of faith, and God really blows it out of the water. Faith is messy. Sometimes even churches abuse it and, and say, oh, well, you've got to have faith that God can heal you, so don't go to the doctors. It's against our policy as a church, but you go to the doctor, and then it's a weird, some weird stuff. It's a messy thing, faith. But you've got to go with what God's Word says. And, and Paul is saying, without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
It's impossible. But it is messy. For example, when I go on amusement rides, okay, I'm a, I'm a fear junkie. I like getting off the adrenaline. I love that. But there are some rides that are just not meant for human consumption, uh, mass humans, okay, like, because they're probably people that died on these particular rides, and we see on the news, especially like the old rickety wood ones that, like, the antique ones, Have you, has anybody been on one of those? Oh, beautiful, okay, broken down. <laughs> what, oh, on, were you at, on that ride, or are you, oh my God. Oh no, that's, see, that's what I'm talking about. And I am glad, for your sakes, uh, that there are not video cameras on these rides because, as you know, I, I struggle a bit with my language. I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. But if you were to record me, I cannot guarantee you that it would have been Pono, all right? That would have been all good. Uh, you know, at least in my mind, oh, I was going off. Good thing you guys, that the, the line was not attached into the brain. So then you would be like, holy cow, man. He's taking that to a level, like a sport level. But it's like you get on one of those things and it's, it takes faith and, and you're in it. And sometimes you're afraid. You're like, oh my gosh. And it's messy. You think you got it. You maybe step out and, and, and then you start to waver or, or start to teeter. And it gets scary. But here's the thing. If you're not scared, every now and then in your life and in your job and in, at your church, if you're not scared every now and then, you're not living by amazing faith. For example, one of the fears I have, I get scared all the time as a pastor. And one of my biggest fears is failure. I hate the idea of it. But you wouldn't believe how many church planters I know that are on their second or third church plant, and now they're doing big things because God used failure. He worked through it. God works everything for the good of those who love, love him and call according to his purpose. And I just have this fear of failure. And uh, Peter, he, he walked on water. He stepped out. He's like, whoa, I'm doing this. He's like, oh, check me out. He's the only one out of the boat. But then, right, he starts sinking. He fails. He fails. And then what did Jesus say? You have little faith. It, but you're going to fail. It's messy. Faith is messy. You're going to fail sometimes. Yeah? So if you're not failing, you, you might be playing it too safe. Now, now, never let the fear of failure talk you out of an act of faith. Don't do that. Press through it. Don't be afraid of failure. Again, we are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. We will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. That's not what we're going to do. Again, you cannot play it safe. That's a faith fact. And please God. The second thing is, you, as long as you have a guarantee... You don't have faith. You don't have faith. And in churches, we know it. We love, as an American culture, to have these huge safety nets. Churches will put money in the bank a year out, so if giving stopped, they would have a full year in their bank as a safety net, 
salaries paid, everything paid. Rental, the liability insurance, everything covered. And then there are churches I know of who are down to the last dollar in their bank account and there was just enough every month. And they've been around for a couple years. I'm like, I can't, I, I need some type of guarantee. I need some control. I need to know that we've got something there, right? That's, that's, that's what we want. We want a guarantee. Paul talks about it. He talks about faith again. In Hebrews 11, chapter 1, he said, faith is what? Confidence that we hope for, that what we hope for will, what? Actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. Now, the problem with most of us is faith doesn't give you a guarantee. It doesn't. And anybody who tell you that, it's, it's, not, it's not reality. Uh, I, I've always grown up liking guarantees, no matter what it is, especially in grade school, in public school, when I was in the third grade, and, you know, I was getting my first girlfriends and getting them stuffed animals, passing notes in class. But before all that happened, what do you do? You, you pass the notes, that, sorry, that you pa- pass the note that says, if I would ask you out, would you say yes? And then you put a checkbox, yes, and you put a checkbox, no. You knew it would send it, you'd have the messenger, the courier go and send it to you, and then they would check yes or no. And then if they said yes, you would ask them out. I don't even know what that meant. I don't even know, what, what is it going out? We're going to go out to the playground? What are we going to do at, in the third grade? You know, like, we're going out. Ooh, this is my girlfriend. We're officially dating. We're going steady. Like, what is that? But we need a guarantee. All right, we go and we buy a car. We need, like, oh, we, this is guaranteed. Or we get a, we, we get a rental, and we're, we have, you're guaranteed a year of rent, right? You make, sign a, con, a lease, things like that. We need these guarantees. But here's the thing, you can have faith in life, but you can't have control. You can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both. And a lot of us get stuck living our lives constantly wanting to control the situation. It's not living by faith. I, I, I give this example even, this is getting a little more personal. Uh, my wife and I were dating for four years because I wanted to make sure that I got to know her well, got to know her father. And before, it was the time when she, it was like the last year, our senior year, before she went, no, during her trip to Costa Rica, I believe, uh, I really, really, really wanted to marry her. And I think, I'm pretty sure, I was talking to Amber about this, but I'm pretty sure I did this. I'm pretty sure I said, if I were to ask you to marry, if I were to ask you to marry me, would you say yes? I'm pretty sure I did that. She can't remember, but I'm pretty sure that I did that. Because I don't want to be one of those guys, right, that goes in front of the whole family, ding, 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 hey, everybody, want to just make an announcement, you know, Amber, will you marry me? No, okay, you know, I'm not that guy, okay, I'm not going to be that guy. Or even just alone, one-on-one. I'm just, I don't want the humiliation of like, you know, going to the person you want to pour your life and heart out to and they say no. I mean, you, I'd like to know. Uh, 
Now, we're, we don't have guarantees in our life. We don't have guarantees at the church. And the awakening, we're going to be tempting some things to move forward. There's no guarantee that's going to work. Faith is messy. We can even ha- either have faith or we can have control. And we can do all the planning and strategizing and, and do whatever we can do, but if God doesn't do it, we have to trust God and find out what happens. Again, sometimes when we are in this messy thing called faith, just like I said with some of my buddies, sometimes the first step to success is failure. We got to start looking at failure differently. It's not this terrible thing to where, like, ooh, failure. Well, see, that you just got one step closer to succeeding by failing. Something to think about. Yeah, I, I just think about how, you know, Amber and I, when we sold everything to move out here to start a church, I mean, talk about no guarantee, selling everything, leaving two nice salaries, just walking away and saying, God, here we are, <laughs> parachuting in here, getting jobs. It was like so insane, that kind of faith. But now that I'm here and we're in it, it's like, oh man, I want to get back into the control and the guarantees <laughs> and the non-messy part of things. Yeah? Because then you get comfortable. And, and, and as you know it, it's, it's comfortable when you have something solid. So, some of you are thinking of advancing your business. You're thinking of maybe marrying someone or, or stepping out in faith in some big way. And I would say, ask God, seek Him. He says, go, do it, jump, take that step of faith. I'm so excited. Girlie's got this business going. She's took a step of faith. She's stuck her neck out. And it's really cool. She's getting clients and God's blessing that. That's exciting. That's a step of faith. Terrace and Matt, fostering a child, man, that's a step of faith. Exciting. Josh, considering expanding your business, wow, it's a step of faith that's big. It's big. Uh, but as long as you have a guarantee, you're not operating in faith. Let me give you an example. I loved skateboarding growing up. I was so into the, like, the little skater wear, and like I had the chain, you know, the chain to wear to the wallet. So cool, and I had the baggy pants that are frayed at the end. I had my, oh yeah, I had my boots, and and I I was a skater. I associated with a kid. I had the independent T-shirt, and I had my skateboard, my Alien Workshop skateboard, yeah, and just you know do tip flips and ollies, and I'm like, oh check out that guy, hi I got you know, but the the scary thing was always the half pipe, the not just like the little guy half pipes, but the big half pipes, like the ten foot or twelve footer one. And you get up, you get up there, and you're on the ledge. There's this metal pipe, 
And what you do is you, you, you basically have your front foot sticking out over the ledge with most of the skateboard, and then you have your back foot standing on that pipe, and you're leaning kind of back. You're leaning, and that's your safety net. That's your, your security and all that good stuff, and you're leaning back. But once you lean forward, it's going to happen. You are going down that steep ledge. And believe you me, man, I went down there a couple times, and I didn't lean into it enough. You have to really have faith and let go of your skin and really lean and put your weight even almost like you're falling down. But because I only leaned little when I was going down, the skateboard shot out from under me and I went, bam, hit the ground really hard. Oh, my goodness. I banged my head and, oh, my, oh, I got banged up. So, and I had to do that several times. And each time you have to let go further and further of your security, of your safety, and of your guarantee, and you lean, and you, once you lean, the skateboard gets underneath the weight of your body, and you can succeed. I think I, I successfully did it like once, and then I was just like, dude, this is too gnarly. I can really do it well with, this, uh, with a um, snowboard and the half pipes. I do those great. It's just a skateboard. It's just too, it's too much. Um, so I'm, I'm going to pass in the skateboard. I'm a little too old for that now. But it, we are faith-filled. We're big thinking. Bet the farm risk takers. If we're not that, we, we will never insult God. I'm sorry. We will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. We are faith-filled, big thinking. Bet the farm risk takers. We will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. Again, the facts, the faith facts. You can't play it safe and please God and as long as you have a guarantee, you don't have faith. The final one, the final faith fact this morning is to step toward your destiny, you have to step away from your security. Uh, most of us, especially women, but even a lot of our, us men, we have a security organ in the side of our body that is directly attached to our face. That when the security is they're put pressure or is squeezed, like our face goes, okay? <laughs> we are security junkies, human beings, just like we were talking about earlier. All right? But to step toward your, toward your destiny, you have to step away from your security. And any extreme sport involves letting go at some level. Skateboarding. Surfing, I mean, you get into the wave and you're paddling and that thing starts jacking up just like that half pipe. And you've got to push your weight down and go down and then pop up while you're free falling. That it just takes a step of faith, I'm sure, in kiteboarding. When you hook up and you just get blown out to sea, I mean, that's like faith. You have to let go of security. But the same applies to our lives. Not just extreme sports. Life is an extreme sport. It is. There's great stakes at play in this life. It's not a game. Paul talks about this faith. Letting go of security in, in Hebrews chapter 11. And he talks about Moses. He talks about Moses and his life. And when God told Moses to make big steps of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it said, By faith, Abraham, 
when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. I mean, think about what Moses did. God says, I want you to go. Where? I'm not telling you. You've got to pack up your house, sell everything. Imagine Amber and I went to plant a church. Pack up the house, sell everything, and tell you go to the ticket booth at the airport. I'm not telling you where you're going. No, that's not me. I'm going like on trips around to these different places to check them out. I even went to Hawaii and spent the whole week fasting and praying, walking the streets, saying, God, is this the place? I need to know. I need to guarantee that you are calling me here. That's what I did. <laughs> but Moses, whoa, that is big faith. Packs up everything and goes to where he doesn't know. But he needed to keep his eyes Focus on the perfecter of his faith. He had to take each step. And each step, that's what faith is essentially. It's not like, hey, faith is a year thing where you take a step and then the year thing is complete. No, it's day by day, week by week. It's a step of faith every time. Just like Peter, out in the water, taking each step on the ocean. Literally the only human being other than Jesus Christ who walked on the water. But once the Bible, that story, Bible story says that Jesus took his focus off Christ and looked down at the waves, looked at the obstacles and the problems and the, the things that, that brought up the fear the fear, the fear that grew in his heart, guess what? He started to sink because he was focused on the problem and not the perfecter of our faith. And Jesus goes and pulls him out of the water. I love how I imagine Jesus lovingly smiled at Peter and said, it's almost like a good job, but Peter, you could have done more. You could have gone further. Where was your faith? how Jesus is with us many times. Now, would Jesus be amazed at your bold, audacious faith, or would he be amazed at your lack of faith? Where are you? And there's a couple ways you can apply this to your life, or all our lives collectively. Um, first of all is the corporate part, as a church. You know, When was the last time you shared your faith with someone outside of the church? Is it in this past week or month even? What about maybe even starting to give, even if it's only 5%, 2%, or whatever you've gotten you know, that you can give? What if that's the step of faith God is asking you collectively as a church? Maybe it's to serve in some capacity, and you're like, I know I got these gifts. I know I have, I'm a part of the puzzle piece. And I need to step up and get involved. Maybe that's a step of faith in this church. Maybe that you need to join us in praying and fasting together for this church. Maybe that's something that you need to take a step of faith in. We can do that after service today. Well, what about our lives, man? Some of you need to start that business that you have been like, I don't know if I should do this. Do it. Maybe you need to get married. All right? Maybe you need to have 
another child. They have three kids now, maybe it's time for four. Amber and I, we, we're, our plan is to adopt. You know, that, I want to adopt a boy. A little boy. I didn't get my boy yet, so I'm going I'm to adopt him. I don't know how or when, but I want to take a step. Of, there's going to be a moment where Amber and I have to take a big step of faith on that. Maybe you need to be like Matt and Cherish, adopt or foster. You know, or even Melissa and Josh. They saw, they've also adopted. Beautiful kids. Such a, such a joy. Every time I see him, just give the best hugs. Solomon and um, Malachi, Aaliyah. They're just awesome. These kids are beautiful. But what step of faith is it? Corporately as a church or individually in your personal life, what is it? I want to say this. I realize that where we are as a church, it takes great faith to be at a place where we have to say, hey, we're restarting. We're, we want to find our momentum again and push. I understand that takes a lot of faith. But in a way, I'm kind of happy that you're in that place because it tests your faith. Because you have to take it week by week, or day by day. Your faith is being grown. I know one of the people that I really look up to, his name is, um, he wrote Crazy Love, uh, Francis Chan. He said that, you know, he had this mega church built. He had the buildings all set. He had everything, I mean, you'd ever want if you're a planter and you see your church grow to the to the greatest possible level there is. And Francis Chan, was, he was talking at this conference that I was hearing him speak at, and he was saying that he got to a point in his ministry where it just didn't require faith anymore. He says some churches out there, they're just doing church. They're doing it all by themselves. They don't even need the Holy Spirit. It doesn't require any faith. We can go plant a church in Oklahoma and say, y'all, come on out and plant a church and all the Christians will come from different churches and we'll transfer growth into this mega church. Here's what he said. He said, that I could do that any day. I could go over to this state or this state and start another mega church. He's like, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to seek God and find out the thing it is that I'm called to do that requires daily faith. I mean, tough stuff. I want to be challenged. So he goes to like inner city San Francisco, where like gangbankers are pulling out guns on them. It, it occasionally gets, you know, shots fired at them and stuff. I've, he told a couple of these stories of like, it's in the, in the ghetto, like really, really bad place. But he's winning these felons to Christ. I mean, and he's, it, he's buying this, this uh, mediocre home and having like a uh, parolee in his home living there and doing stuff that are just like crazy faith, crazy faith. And he left it all. He left everything, the comfort, the security, the unmessiness of a large established church. And he said, I need to be in something that's requiring great faith. That's where I'm called to be. And I'm glad you're here too. And I believe that God can do big things with our church. I believe that God can do big things with our families. 
I believe he can do great things. I'm excited. I'm excited for what God has for us. See, we need to have big thinking because God didn't give us a small commission. He didn't give us a small commission. And I want to tell you just real briefly here why we do what we do. Jesus called us to go out and preach the gospel so that people could get saved. People can get disciples and baptized, and we want to do those things. We want to follow this great, great commission. And statistically, here's what's going on. The church, the established church in the U.S. is declining. So the importance of what we do is so huge, and let me tell you why. Church plants, churches that are planted, win more people to Christ Way more people to Christ. I think it's uh, a church of 100 that is established over 15 years old will win on average one person to to Christ per year. Per year. Whereas a church plant of the same size will win a dozen at least. I remember one year we got 150. You got to understand how important it is what we're doing as a small church plant. It's important. And here's another reason, is the established churches that are in and they're at the end of their life cycle, because that's the natural thing, is a church is born and then eventually it dies. It just, it happens. Whether it's within a domination or denominations altogether, you'll see that they come and go. And, and obviously, probably the obvious assumption is that they last about the length of a human life, a church. And once it gets to a certain age, it starts going in decline and if it hasn't reproduced itself, it's like a family that says, hey, we're not going to have a baby. Because it's too messy. It takes too much faith. It's not easy weaning people to Christ. So, let's not do it. And that's what happens in Europe. Like Germany, they're, they're not having enough kids. The actual Germans are getting displaced as a population rapidly because all the cultures around them are having all these kids and there's all these young people that aren't having babies. And right now in the church, currently, the amount of churches that can plant a baby church that will win more people to Christ, they'll be more relevant. It's like your child, they're much more in touch with their generation than you'll ever be. They'll be able to do computer things that you'll never be able to do, and you'll be like, oh, how did they learn that? But they're in touch. And there's a reason we have kids. It's a perpetuation of our culture, of our line. The bride of Christ is given the analogy of a human being, a woman, a bride, because it's born and it dies, and it can rebirth. It can have babies. But currently, the churches that can, only 4% of them are having babies. And the church in the U.S. is in decline. The population is exploding, and the church is in rapid decline. So we need churches like the Awakening to exist. We need churches like the Awakening to win people to Christ. There is a big level of importance to the faith step you are taking by walking with us in this church. And I believe that God can do great things, even greater than what we first did before, if we have faith. If we have faith. So, again, we are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm, Risk takers will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. 
I'm going to pour myself out. I'm going to pour out until there's nothing left so that every person possible within my reach, within my sphere of influence, to come to know the loving power and change and a life sacrifice to Christ. I'm committed to that. And I know you guys are as well. But I want to ask you again, this week, if you haven't been taking steps of faith, start taking them. Because I want God to be amazed by your faith. Not amazed by your lack of faith. I'm going to ask God for more faith this morning. And that's what I want to do with you. I want to collectively ask God for more faith. So if you could bow your heads with me, and and we'll have the Amber, if you could get ready to go up there and and sing. Lord, we thank you so much for um, the faithfulness that you have in us. Because even when we're faithless, Lord, you remain faithful. And so many times we fall short of your glorious standard. We fall short over and over again. Many times over, even daily, hourly, we lack faith. And it's something that we all could grow in, especially me. And so we're going to pray for that this morning. And if that's you this morning, you're like, hey, I want more faith in my personal life. I want more faith for us collectively as a church. Um, without anybody looking around, your eyes closed, head bowed, would you say, hey, I'm going to take a little step of faith right now. I'm going to raise my head and say, I want more faith. God bless you. Good. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Good. Good. I, I'm saying God bless you to me because I, even though I'm one of those risk takers and, and I maybe have taken steps of faith in my past, I find myself defaulting back to the safety net, back to the secure thing to do. And I need to continually say, hey, where's the faith? Where's the thing that, that is so big that, it's, that requires insane faith? So, Lord, help us. Increase our faith. Increase our faith. That, that number that's done on a one or a two, maybe five, Lord, push that up to a seven or eight or nine, maybe even to a ten, Lord. We're doing such big things that people are not just you, but people who see our lives, who see our church are amazed. Amazed by our faith. I want us to be known at the awakening for our faith. Faith. faith that you have the ability to do the things we yet cannot see. Faith to bring the fruit that you've called us to produce. Help us take each day and just say, Lord, I trust you I let go of the things that maybe I'm holding on. What is the big thing that you want me to do this week? How do you want me to expand the business or get involved in the church? What is it that you're wanting me to do? You ask him these things and he'll answer. Be careful what you ask for with God because he'll tell you. So Lord, I pray you'd speak to hearts this morning, even right now.
of the areas of faith that they need to grow in. And I'm sure you know a couple of them right now. And in my head, I have a couple areas in my own life where I could use more faith. So, Lord, I, I just pray that we would grow in those areas. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for what you're doing and how we're growing. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hey, we're going um, to worship together. It's powerful. Faith, uh, worship is, is a form of faith. It's saying, hey, God, you're not just some distant God, that you take pleasure in me praising you. And in fact, it attracts you. So I'm going to take this step of faith and praise. In fact, I was doing my word the other day. And I was talking about King Jehoshaphat and how he was facing this big army. And he was scared out of his mind. But you know what he did? The first thing was to do is he set his eyes on Jesus because he admitted, he realized that he didn't have what it takes. So he set his eyes on Jesus and he waited on the Lord. The Lord responded and said, I will fight this battle for you. Right? Be strong and courageous. I'll be with you. And, and so they start getting pumped and they start worshiping. In, front, and in fact, the, worship, the worshipers go out in front of the army and at the moment they start worshiping, at the moment they start worshiping, God starts just slaughtering the enemy. Before they even got there, and they come upon like a, a, a big cliff where they see into the valley and they saw bodies everywhere of the enemy that was destroyed by the hand of God. And so they praised him even more. But the worship in itself is an act of faith. We set our eyes on Jesus. We admit we can't do it without him. And we have faith. He hears us. We have faith that he receives this worship and that he inhabits the praise of his people. Amen? So we're going to worship right now as an act of faith, a little step, and let's, let's invite God's presence in that.